On August 26th, 2014, it was Tuesday morning, at 8 a.m., I was driving across the Isaiah Hart Bridge. The radio was off, my coffee was hot, my daughter next to me was silent, with her face stuck in a book. Hannah Banana was on her way to school, I was on my way to drop her off, and I looked to my right, and this is what I see, this is a picture of Hannah reading her book. And I start thinking to myself, this is prime time for me to start building a relationship with my daughter. Right now I ought to be engaged in discussion. Right now I'm just thinking about meetings that I have today. Right now she's thinking about the story in her book. I'm thinking, how do I connect the two of us together? And so I ask her, I say, so are you excited about school today? I get no response. She's reading her book. So again, I said, are you excited about school today? No response. So finally, I used my get her attention voice. I said, Hannah. She said, huh? I said, are you excited about school today? Uh-huh. And her face went right back down into the book. I thought, wow, I am swiftly being defeated by whatever author wrote this book. So <clears throat> I finally asked her, I said, Hannah, close the book. She said, why? I said, because I want to talk to you. She said, why? <laughs> because you're going to be gone to school for eight hours today, and I'm going to be at work, and we're going to be busy, and I just, you know, figured we might as well talk a little bit while we're on your way to school. So close the book. So she closed the book, and I took the book, and I put it in the back seat, and so there we go. Now we're sitting there, and now it's silent. She's looking at me like I'm an idiot. I'm looking at her like, what do I say to you? And uh, so I said, you know, what are, what are you going to do at school today? Learn. Okay, you know what you're going to learn? No. All right, so do you have any tests coming up? Uh-uh. So I get all these one-word answers. I'm like, this is just great. So by the time I start actually like trying to formulate sentences that will sort of get through to her and, and help establish and build this discussion... We pull into the school parking lot and roll around the carpool line. Faculty member opens up the door and Hannah gets out. She grabs her backpack. I say, bye Hannah, love you. She says, love you too. She kind of bobs off. She heads to school. I close the door and I drive off. I'm thinking to myself, that was utter failure. Completely, like I did not get to engage in discussion with my daughter. I tried. It was the best shot, but, you know, I, I failed. And so I got to thinking, I'm like, why is it so awkward to try to talk to my own daughter? I, this shouldn't be so hard. And the reality is, I, I think it's awkward because I'm probably not near as intentional about it as I ought to be. And so I start thinking, what's the root of that? I mean, what, what's the core issue here? You know, am I afraid to talk to my daughter? Do I think that I'm unprepared? Maybe she's going to ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. I think ultimately it really just comes back to busyness. Because halfway through the ride to school, all I had been thinking about was my day. Meetings I was inevitably going to end up being a part of. Appointments I had. Visitation I was going to be doing. Lessons I needed to prepare. I was thinking about things that really didn't require me to think about them at the time that I could have been spending 
having a conversation with my daughter. And I think the same might be true for you as well. That for some reason or another, we, we live in this culture and the society that demands that we're readily accessible at the drop of a hat. And we've got one thing after another piled up. We've got 28 hours worth of work piled onto a 24-hour calendar and no room for sleep and no room for our kids. You know, again, it, it, because we're not intentional the way we ought to be, we get this awkwardness. We get this tension. There's this tension that builds up. You know, for those of you that have teenagers or may have uh, had teenagers at one point or another, maybe your kids are grown. You know, maybe there were other challenges you faced. You know, especially teenagers today, they've got cell phones. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I've got to convince Hannah to put her phone away. You know, well, you gave me this thing. Why can't I, you know? So then we end up with a teenager who's mad at their parents and parents who are frustrated with their teenager because they won't put the phone away and now everyone's just awkward and nobody wants to talk to anybody. So all hope is lost. How do we build a conversation off of that? But you know, just because it's awkward doesn't mean it's not important. My son is five months old right now. In a couple months, I'm going to have to teach him to eat solid food. It's going to be kind of awkward when he starts spitting out mashed peas everywhere. Just because it's awkward doesn't mean it's not important. Eventually, I'm going to have to potty train him. That's going to be real awkward. Doesn't mean it's not important. I think you know where that goes. I've got a graph here I want you guys to take a look at. It's a little pie chart that I came upon in, in my studies. This is an illustration of when people say they came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There's 0 to 4 years old, 4 to 14, 15 to 30, and then 30 and up. Of those zero to four, 1% of Christians say that they came to know Christ between the ages of zero and four. Half of them are lying. Um, Four to 14, 85% of Christians say they came to know Christ between the ages of four and 14. 10% said they came to know Christ at the ages of, between the ages of 15 and 30. And then 4% said they came to know Christ at 30 years old or older. This demonstrates an importance, an importance about who we are and how we relate to our kids. And as we talk this morning about making room for our kids, one thing I want to make crystal clear is that this is not just about parents who have minors as their children right now. I'm talking to parents of adult children. I'm talking to grandparents. I'm talking to aunts and uncles. I'm talking to friends, neighbors, relatives. Because the truth is, everyone in here, at one point or another, encounters somebody in their life that is not quite as far along as they are yet. Whether it's physically and through age and maturity, or whether it's spiritually. Each one of us encounters somebody that needs someone they can look up to, that needs somebody to pour into their life. And it's important that we make time for these conversations. <clears throat> I showed you that chart. 85% of Christians say they came to know Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. And I think that's why we so often see many young families coming back to the church after they've gone away to college, or gone away to the military. They start to have kids start their careers, their kids go into elementary school. And I think subconsciously, 
we think, okay, we've got, you know, 10, 12 years to really get them into the church, introduce them to who Jesus is, have the Sunday school teachers teach them everything they need to know about the Bible so that later on in life, hopefully their life doesn't fall apart. And it's really sad because I think we end up coming to church when our kids are kids, especially those that just come back to the faith, we kind of got our fingers crossed saying, boy, I hope this works, I hope this works, I hope this works. Twelve years later, our kids are graduating high school, walking across the stage, and we're crossing our fingers, we're still saying, boy, I hope this worked, I hope this worked, I hope this worked. But one thing we need to understand is our role as parents and grandparents, our role in the lives of these children is not to be their Sunday morning chauffeur, to take them to the people who are going to disciple them. Our role is to be the primary disciplers in their lives. That's our role. We need to make time for our kids. My wife and I recognize it's our job to disciple Hannah and Stephen. It's the church's job to supplement that, to help us, to be a supplemental arm in the ministry that already takes place in our homes. There's a novel concept, ministry taking place in your home. Imagine that. What does that look like? For us, one thing that's really neat is we have someone else helping in the discipleship of, of Hannah. And that's our neighbor, Miss Doris. She's sitting right back there. And now, Miss Doris doesn't walk over with her Bible and say, Hannah, it's time to sit down for Bible study. Miss Doris brings over a tomato plant and says, Hannah, let me show you how to grow tomatoes. Miss Doris brings over a game and says, Hannah, let me teach you how to play this game. Miss Doris builds relationships. Miss Doris has a very close relationship with my daughter that I hold very dear to my heart because I know that when things get tough, if she's not running to me, she's not running to her mom, she can run to Miss Doris. And that's precious. Each one of us has a role, has a responsibility to those whom God has placed in our lives. You see, the truth is, our kids, the children in our lives, they're busy. I realize that. There's 8,760 hours in a year. And our kids have to go to school and they have to sleep. That's about 16 hours worth of time in a 24-hour time span. The rest of that time is yours. It's under the domain of the parents. And you get to choose how you use that. I get to choose the things that Hannah does in her life. I get to set the bar, set the standards. I get to decide if it's time for dance practice. I get to decide if it's time for soccer practice or if it's time to sit around and pray. We get to choose. And I know we say, well, we're just so busy, we just don't have time for this stuff. Busyness cannot be your excuse. It cannot be my excuse. We're all busy. But let me share a little secret with you. The job that you hold now, the office that you hold now, someone else is going to take that place. You're not going to be there forever. But something someone else will never do is be the mother or the father or the grandparent to your child or grandchild. No one else will ever take your role in that child's life. They can't. It's very sad that we often sacrifice a role that is so unique to us for a role that somebody can and eventually 
will do. We do that. It's terrible. And then we have parents, we have, we have children growing up, becoming adults, and with parents who don't have a very good relationship with their adult children, and we think, well, you know, what went wrong? You see, the cumulative effect of the time that you spend with your child is going to be the adult that they grow into being. Your greatest contribution to society is not how much money you can bring home and how much you pay in taxes. That's not your greatest contribution to society. Your greatest contribution to society is the quality of the character and the children that you raise and the adults that they grow up to become. That's your greatest contribution to society. So I want you to grab a pen and I want you to grab the communication card. I want you to flip it over to the back and I want you to write something down. I want you to write these words on that communication card. Make room for who God has entrusted to you, not for the tasks that others will do. Make room for who God has entrusted to you and not for the tasks that others will do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 gives us a clear illustration of this. I think it's funny, all of this stuff seems like, you know, new material for us, or, you know, at least for me, I'm, I'm a new parent, relatively new parent, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is all like really deep, heavy stuff, but truth be told, this stuff goes back ages, to the time of Moses even. Because in Deuteronomy chapter six, he's talking to the Israelites, and he says that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Verse eight says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Write them down. What I find intriguing is the construct of this passage. I want you to notice that before we're encouraged to teach our children, Moses tells his people, write these words on your heart. And before he tells them to write these words on their heart, Moses tells them, love God with everything you've got. You see, God doesn't want just mental accumulation of facts, of scripture in our minds. God wants our hearts. God wants us. God didn't give his son so that we could read scripture. God gave his son so that we could become sons and daughters of him. And so God desires that we love him with everything that we've got. And that that be the foundation upon which we raise our children and our grandchildren. Not only does God desire that we love him with everything that we've got, but God desires that we take his word seriously. This is a serious book. It's not a novel. It's not just some frivolous reading for on your way to school, for your leisure time. It's serious. This is God's holy word. He loves us so much 
He cared about us enough to tell us how we should live, the best way that we can live for him and love him. We need to hide these words in our hearts. You see, because once that knowledge and these facts and these scriptures make their way from our minds to being deeply rooted in our hearts and our hearts become just soaked, drenched with scripture, with God's holy word, then when we teach these things to our children, we're not just going to be content with the fact that they just know how to recite some memory verses. We want them to love God with everything that they've got. And that's why Moses was so particular when he told them how to teach their children. We say, teach our children. Well, when do we have time? For, how, do we, how do we teach our children? I can't get them to learn anything. They won't even do their homework. He says, tell it to them. Talk about it. When? When do we have time to talk about it? We're so busy. Look at what Moses said. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit at your house. Talk of them when you sit at your house. Talk of them when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So when we sit at our house, I want you to think about the time you spend sitting in front of the TV or the time your children spend sitting in their room or just outside playing on their own with no attention being given to what they're doing. Think about dinner time every night. Where do you eat dinner? Do you sit around the table? Do you guys go to your different secluded places? Are you talking to each other or are you listening to the television? What about when we walk along the way? Moses says, talk, to, talk of them when you walk by the way. We don't walk everywhere we go, but we drive. We've got drive time. We say, well, we listen to Christian radio. Isn't that cool? They didn't have Christian radio back then, but we can do that, right? There's nothing wrong with listening to the radio, listening to Christian radio, listening to anything on the radio. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes at the expense of sacrificing valuable time, valuable hours each year, where you could be building relationships with your children, it becomes a problem. When they go to bed, it says, when they lie down, when they lie down. When, when, when your children go to bed, when you tuck them in at night, and then when they wake up, when they rise in the morning, when you're getting ready. And so to put this in perspective for you, I want you to think about dinner time at your home. What would it be like if you fulfilled your role as a teacher at your house by sitting around the dinner table, turning the TV off, and talking about something that has to do with our faith? You know, maybe why do we pray before we eat? And one thing that we like to do is we like to take our old Christmas cards that we feel so guilty about throwing away, we keep them in a little basket. We keep them in a basket, and every, every night when we sit around the table, now we don't sit around the table every night, but the nights uh, on which we sit around the table and eat dinner as a family, we grab one of those cards, we look at who it's from, we read the card, and we pray for that person. We're teaching our children to pray. That's something easy. I didn't come up with that on my own. I thank my father-in-law for that. But Pastor Gary does that with his kids now. It's just something so simple. So what if you fulfilled your role as teacher around the table? What if when you were in the car, you fulfilled your role as their friend? What if instead of me trying to facilitate conversation with my daughter, what if I just let my daughter talk? Well, I did that when I picked her up that same day. I picked Hannah up from school. You know what she told me? The first thing she got in the car, I was driving off. I'm like, okay, now how's this going to work? Maybe I'll just let her guide the conversation. 
First thing Hannah says, Daddy, there's a boy at school who likes me. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. This is good. This is much better than me asking her what she's going to learn today. God knows what she's going to learn today. I said, there is. And she said, yeah. She told me a little bit about him. And then she told me about another boy. She said, there's this other boy that keeps picking on me. I said, he's picking on you? She said, yeah. He keeps calling me names. I said, what do you mean he's calling you names? What, what, What kind of names does he call you? She said, well, he keeps calling me a freak. I said, well, that's not very nice. She said, I know. I said, well, how does that make you feel? And she said, it's, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of just annoying. And, you know, I just, I don't like it. I wish you would stop. And so now I'm thinking, all right, here we go. This is, this is my time to shine for my daughter. I said, Hannah, I'm going to tell you a secret. She said, okay. And I said, when, uh, when you get to school tomorrow, if that little boy calls you another name, if he calls you a freak or creep or whatever he calls you, I said, I want you to tell him something. Give him a message from me. You tell him that your daddy has been a boy three times longer than him. And he knows why little boys call little girls freaks and creeps. I said, you tell that boy that your daddy taught you the only reason he calls you a freak is because he hasn't figured out yet how to say the words, I think you're beautiful. You tell him that. You tell him every time he calls you a name, you, really, you know he's really saying, I think you're beautiful. And you see what he says. She kind of smiled. She said, okay. The next day we were coming home from school and I asked her if he called her any more names. And she said, yes, and I did what you told me. I said, you did? I said, how did it go? She said, well, we were out on the playground and all these kids were gathered around and he called me a freak. And so I told him, my dad's been a boy three times longer than you. And he told me that whenever you call me names, really all you're trying to say is you think I'm beautiful. She said, he turned beet red. <laughs> he turned beet red and he said, no, that's not true. And he ran away. I said, yeah. Take that, lover boy. <laughs> Call my daughter a freak. Yeah. So what if, when we, what if when we're driving down the road, we let our kids guide the conversation? What if we just listen to them? We help them to interpret life. And then what if when we do tuck them in at bed, when we do tuck them into bed at night, we kneel down beside their bed, beside their bed and just fulfill our role as a counselor, listening to the heart of our children, asking how their day went. Is there anything specific you want to pray for? And then what if when they got up in the morning, we fulfilled our role as a coach in their life, instilling value and purpose to help them face challenges of the day, to help them, you know, know how they can just get through the day when some little boy is calling them a freak. What if we coach them? Something else that I find interesting is that not only does Moses say, talk to your children about these things, but then he, he starts using visuals. He says, bind them on your hands, bind them as a sign on your hands, and let them be as frontlets between your eyes, and you should write them on your doorposts, and you should uh, write them on your gates. What's really cool is um, in ancient Jewish history, the Jews actually took this passage so literally that they came up with these cool little boxes in which they hide scripture. They call this stuff tefillin. And every morning, with the exception of Sabbath and holidays, all the men will get up and they'll wrap these little boxes to their arm like this 
and they wrap the straps around like this. And then they'll take the other one and they'll mount it to their forehead between their eyes. Like this. And they'll wrap the strap around their head and they'll wear this. They wear these things during their prayer time. And the purpose of that, what, what they have inside, inside the little box, is a little scroll with scripture written on it that a scribe wrote on there. They took it seriously when Moses said, tie these things to your hands and let them be as frontlets to your eyes. I find that fascinating. I started thinking, well, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of glad I don't have to wear a little box on my forehead every time I want to pray. But I started thinking about it. And we have modern to fill in. We have modern things like that as well. This one here, some of you may have seen before, it's called an E-band. Really, this is just a cool rubber band that is used as a bracelet. People ask you what the colors mean, and you can share the gospel with them. Another example of this is a WWJD bracelet. Maybe the Jesus fish on the back of your car. Maybe a Evangel cube like this. This looks kind of neat. It's really cool. So you can set it up on your fireplace mantle, or you can set it on your coffee table at your house. And when people come over and they see it, they can say, "What's that?" And you can say, "Oh, that's it's really cool. It's uh, it's called an." E-cube, an evangel cube. Let me tell you about Jesus. So it's, it's cool when we have these. We kind of set them on display. It's even cooler when we use them. We have things like that. And so the neat thing is it's a very creative way to teach kids the gospel. Almost like modern to fill in. It's amazing. And so I ask you, reflecting on this passage of scripture, what if coming home was less about decompressing from a long day at work and more about getting down to business with the little ones you work so hard to feed? What if dinner time lessons were less like finish your food and more like why do we pray? What if morning conversations sounded less like bed-making drills and became more about value and purpose? What if car rides sounded less like the radio and more like reality? What if bedtime discussion sounded less like you're late and more like you're loved? And even more, what if all of a sudden your kids were viewed as less of the blame and more of the blessing? How would that change your world? How would that change your kids' world? Well, I sent out a couple messages this week and I asked people to share with me some things that they, some pointers for parents that were successful for them, um, that, that helped them successfully raise children, uh, or some helpful critiques, things that they wish their parents would have done that maybe they didn't do, or things they wish their parents would do that maybe they just don't do. And the response was overwhelming. And so I can't read everyone verbatim, but I'm going to read off a list of the things that you all and your kids wished you got from your parents. I wish my parents weren't workaholics. I wish they weren't alcoholics. I wish they would say, I'm proud of you. I wish they'd hug me. I wish they'd do devotions and pray with me. 
I wish they wouldn't fight in front of me. I wish my dad would teach me that women aren't objects to be lusted after, but they're partners for your life. I wish my mom would teach me how to be a lady, how to dress like a lady, how to act like a lady. I wish they would be selective about what they let me watch and what they let me listen to. I wish my dad wouldn't talk bad about my mom. And I wish my mom wouldn't talk bad about my dad. I wish my dad would teach me to hunt and to fish. I wish they would watch what they say and use better language. I wish they'd quit smoking. I wish they'd quit drinking. I wish they'd teach me about my faith. I wish they'd help me to be a better example for my kids. I wish they'd be there for me. I wish they'd show love for my mom. I wish my mom would show love for my dad. I wish they would explain salvation to me so I know what it means. I wish they would teach me to paint. I wish my dad would teach me to change oil and to fix stuff. These are real life things that your kids want from their parents, that you want from your parents. I've got an illustration here. Many of you have probably seen it a few times before. But I think the principle behind it is a timeless message. And it's one that's worth repeating. These big rocks that I'm putting in this jar, they represent your faith in God. Not just your faith in God, but your faithfulness to your family. That's what the big rocks represent. These other sort of smaller rocks, these are important things in your life. Maybe some things that only you can do. Maybe some things that help you along your life with, uh, with your kids and your relationship with God. And then this gravel. Represents those smaller, seemingly less important things in life. The sand is just kind of some of the fluff that really doesn't matter if we have it or not. And then everything else in life that takes up so much of our time. All the little things, the things you did last week that you can't even remember now. That's what this water represents. Those things that I just read, people uh, who want those things from their parents, The problem those parents had is they forgot to put the big rocks in first. You see, if I had started with just adding in the water, filled the water all the way up, I would have never made room for the big rocks. Even if I had put the gravel in first and and some other rocks and the sand, forgot about the big rocks and then filled it up with water, It's easy to let that happen. We run out of room. We don't make room. 
I want to share with you two other stories, however, of people that did make room for those whom God had entrusted to them. Someone wrote, something that my parents did intentionally that made a difference in my life and the lives of my sisters. My dad always said the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. My dad loved my mother in front of his children. He made her a priority. He was sweet and he was kind to her. He always complimented her. I don't remember ever hearing them argue. I'm sure they did, but they did it in private. And all me and my sister saw was a godly mom and dad that loved each, uh, that loved each other and loved their children. My dad never put down my mother. He always thanked her for being a good wife and a good mother. And he told her he appreciated her and everything she did for her family. I think that's something that every parent can do for their children. And someone else wrote, my success story on raising two amazing young men would be that I was blessed enough to stay home with them. We kept them active, but not too much. My husband has hunted with them since they were big enough to stand in the front seat of his truck in the woods. They played sports, and they were active in church. They never came home to an empty house. Even when I went back to work after 13 years, I worked nights for that very reason. We've always sat at the table for dinner as a family. We always prayed before we ate, and we talked about their day. We vacationed as a family, and from the time they could barely talk, my husband taught them to say, ma'am and sir, Honestly, even as teenagers, we never had one ounce of trouble out of either boys. I don't know if this helps, but there you go. Those parents I just read of, they put the big rocks first. I think we can all use a little pep talk from time to time about value and about purpose. And I think that's why Moses told his people to hide these words in their hearts, to love God with everything they've got. Because in this book right here, tells the story of how much God values you. He values you so much that he gave his child so that you could become his child. He gave his child so that you could not only become his, but you could teach your children to become his. His purpose for you is for you to love him so much with all you've got and then to teach your children to do the same. The most important thing that can ever happen in the heart of a child is what happens in the heart of their parents. I had somebody ask me, what about hope for those who messed up. What if we blew it? What if I forgot to make room for my kids? Let me be honest and clear with you. Every one of us has failed at one point or another. That's why God gave his son on the cross. Because we all fail. We all miss his mark for our lives. But God's grace is sufficient to cover my sins and to cover yours. God gives us these things in our lives, these problems that we encounter, these things that we can remember about making room for our children. Not so that we can look back and dwell in the past, but so that we can learn from it.
we can move on in the future. Because whether you realize it or not, God has sent someone in your life right now, August 31st, 2014, to be that child in your life. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs to know that someone loves them and they really need to know that God loves them. I want to thank you all so much for joining us here this morning. I love coming to church and seeing the Spirit of God move in His people. It's such a powerful testimony that we do not serve a God who died 2,000 years ago on a cross. We serve a loving, living God who is very much alive and active in the hearts of our people today. God is real and he is present today. And I pray, my prayer is that each one of you would just experience him in a very real way sometime today or this week. I pray that you would love God more than anything. I've got a couple challenges that I want to issue out. As you know, I'm the youth minister here at Southside Baptist Church. And uh, we work very diligently to try to align our preschool and children and youth ministries so that from cradle to college we can partner with parents and grandparents uh, in the discipleship of their kids, ultimately leading them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so my challenge for you this week is I want you to spend... You can choose from one of these three challenges. For one week a month, or once a week for a month, have a distraction-free dinner around the table. Just once a week for a month. That's four dinners. Or, I want you to commit to a radio-free car ride once a day for two weeks. Just turn the radio off. Let your kids speak. Or, you can commit to a bedtime discussion and prayer for five days this week. I want you to commit to one of those. Dinner, distraction-free dinner around the table, once a week for a month, radio-free car ride, one day, once a day for two weeks, or bedtime discussion and prayer for five days this week. And I want you to see how God changes your life. I want you to see how God moves in your family. You saw him move here this morning, but God doesn't live in these walls. He lives in you. It's amazing. That's my challenge for you. Also, something else that's going to take place is you're going to start seeing posters and banners and flyers and leaflets come out about making room for your kids. We're getting intentional here with our next-gen ministries, and we want you to know that we're here to partner with you and equip you and give you the resources necessary for you to become the primary disciples in the lives of your children. One way we plan to make this a little interesting for you is that as these posters and banners go up, you're going to say, oh, that's such a sweet picture. We're going to have a photo contest. I want you to make room for your children, for your grandchildren. I want you to go out and do something as a family. And I want you to take pictures while you're out. And I want you to take your favorite picture and email it to me, nick at ssbc.org. We're going to have a photo contest. And as we do this, this four months of make room, um, we're going to see what kinds of pictures we get of people making room for their families. And I'm not talking about everybody in blue jeans and white button-down shirt you know, sitting on rocks by the beach. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about go and make room for your family. Invest in them. Take some pictures. And this is, this is the prizes that we have for you. We're going to have three prizes. Second and third place prize is going to be we're going to take that picture that you sent us. And we're going to get it printed on canvas 
photo material. And we're going to give you a canvas picture of you and your family to hang up in your house. And then the first place prize, whoever wins that, they're going to get a canvas photo as well. But we're also going to give you uh, a complimentary one free hour of uh, professional photo shoot for you and your family. We're going to pay for that. Because we are serious at Southside Baptist Church about you being the primary disciplers in your children's and your grandchildren's lives. So make room for those who God has entrusted to you, not for the tasks that others will do. Thank you. You're dismissed.